0: God's blueprint for relationship. We're going to be looking at covenant keeping here this morning. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. When we talk about a covenant relationship, when you have a covenant relationship with your spouse, you also have a covenant relationship with God. He is part of that. And so what it is is it takes three for two to become one. It takes three for two to become one to become one. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we do thank you for our time together. Lord, as we uh, open up your word and we study it, God, I pray that you would help us to see the truth in your word. Help us to understand what a covenant is, Lord, and how we can apply it to our hearts with you, but also with our relationships with our spouse. Give us wisdom and insight. And uh, Lord, I pray that we honor you here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In relationships, how often are we attracted to to someone who is opposite to us, in fact, if you are here today and your significant other is opposite to you, raise your hand. How many of you are opposites? Got a couple of you out there, yep yeah. well, as it said, the uh, opposites attract when you're dating opposites attract, but when you're married, opposites attack sometimes you know. Um, Have you ever noticed that what's cute and adorable when you're dating kind of becomes irritable when you're married? (laughs) You know, Uh, He's so laid back. He's so great. He's so lovable. And then you go and get married. Get off the couch and do something, right? You know what I'm saying? Well, how many of you, when it comes to money, you are a saver. You are tight with your money. Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you didn't realize that saving was actually an option when it came to money? Raise your hand. Okay. We've got a couple of you out there as well. Opposites attract. You know, you have opposites. Uh, Some of you are very punctual when it comes to time. And others are, let's say, a little bit flexible. And uh, you uh, are fashionably late oftentimes. They're opposites. Uh, Some are very organized. You have a place for everything. Others, you're a bit more creative. You don't have to have things go back in the same place they came from, and that's okay with you right? Uh, So it's funny how opposites attract, and then one day you get married, and you're wondering, man, why are we struggling? Why are we struggling so much? I never thought we'd end up there. Well, I hope you've got some relationship goals. Um, As followers of Jesus Christ, uh, we have some goals that are probably different than normal. We don't have the normal goals that maybe society has, and if you don't want to live like society does, if you want something different, well, then you have to do something different, and so we want to offer you some different goals that what you would maybe find in society. You're not going to go to the checkout line at Enter end of the counter and find these goals in those books, in those magazines. We want something different. And so uh, hopefully you've been able to uh, follow along with, with me this through this series. And uh, we've been discussing some relationships goals this month. And maybe by now you may have memorized. Maybe. All right. And so uh, here's what we're going to do. Uh, today we're going to be talking about relationship goals. We're going to be doing the fourth one. Uh, the, the covenant keeping. Before we do that, let's go ahead and review what we've talked about thus far. And here at Southwest Baptist Church, we want our relationship's goals to be, say it with me, Christ centered, mission driven, devil kicking, covenant keeping. Well done, man. You guys are on top of it today. Well done. All right, so today we're going to be looking at covenant keeping. So, what does it mean, and how do we live it out? Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3, and here the Pharisees are having a conversation with Jesus. Now, for those who may not be familiar with the Pharisees, uh, the Pharisees were religious leaders back in those days, uh, back in Jesus' day, and they were responsible for, for uh, hanging out with the law and, 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 and interpreting the law, making sure the, the law was accessible to everybody, and also uh, making sure everybody was staying within the bounds of the law. And they became a very powerful in their position, uh, to the point where they began to abuse some of their power. And they lorded over the people with rules and regulations. And then Jesus comes along, and he starts exposing some of the Pharisees. And he starts exposing some of their hearts. And people begin to, to see what Jesus was doing. And they're like, man, this guy speaks with power. This guy speaks with authority. And he began to be attracting a lot of people to him. And, of course, the Pharisees didn't like that uh, because they, they felt like their power was going from them. They wanted control over the people and also probably had maybe some monetary uh, attachments to that as well. And so they saw all these people going over to Jesus Christ, and so they began to plot against Jesus Christ and, uh, because people were turning from them. Oftentimes what they would do is they would challenge Jesus with a question. Out in public, they would just challenge him with a question, and uh, oftentimes, sometimes whenever, uh, no matter what answer he gave, there would be somebody out there that would be offended by it. Um, they, maybe they could manipulate the answers to, to a degree where they can come out looking better than Jesus Christ did. But Jesus knew their hearts, and oftentimes he would actually turn the tables on them. And we read here that they are testing Jesus, um, and, and they are trying to make him lose credibility with the people and show how great they are. And so if you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19, and we'll start in verse 3. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, saying to him, talking about Jesus there, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? I don't know. Maybe these guys were looking for a little bit of a loophole in their own marriages. Maybe that's what they were after. And so he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man Separate. Now it's quite interesting here because they came to the point where uh, they come to Jesus and they said, You know, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife just for any reasons? And I like Jesus' initial response here. He says, Have you not read? Remember who he's talking to here. These are the Pharisees. These are the ones that were supposed to know the law. They were supposed to know the law inside out because they had to interpret it for other people. And Jesus comes back with, Well, haven't you read? Uh, and uh, it's kind of like a little bit of slap in the face there. I mean, you should have read, is probably what, he, what, he, what he's trying to say here. Have you not read? Have you not looked at the law for yourself? They were trying to make Jesus look bad. And instead, they get a stinging reply from Jesus because these guys were supposed to know the Scriptures. And so the reason why they asked this question was not because necessarily they were looking for the truth. It was because they were seeking to divide the crowd. They believe uh, there, there were some people in that uh, group that were part of a religion during that time. And part of this religious group, they taught their followers that it was acceptable and it was okay to divorce your wife for any reason. And so whenever they come up to Jesus and they said, Hey, can, can we divorce a wife for, wife for any reason? No matter what answer Jesus gives, somebody's going to be offended and they're going to separate that. They're going to divide that group. And what they're going to do is go up to those people and say, "Hey, Hey, what do you think about this Jesus guy? And they're like, uh, well, you know, I don't think too much about this Jesus guy. Hey, you know what? We don't either. Maybe we should get together and get rid of him. They were seeking to divide the crowd and to make Jesus look bad. Remember last, uh, a couple of weeks ago we said there's two things that unite, a common enemy and a common goal. And this is exactly what they were doing here. They were trying to, to uh, uh, make Jesus the common enemy among the people there. And we talked before about what God unites, the devil schemes to divide. And the devil is using this religious group to divide the crowd away from Jesus by using the topic of marriage. But in Jesus' response, we see this. We see that what God brings together, they become one flesh. And what he has joined, let no man separate. Here we have the idea of a covenant relationship. It is not just a covenant between your spouses. It is a covenant between you and God. In Malachi, if you want to open your Bible to Malachi, uh, we see here God's people were wondering why God was not blessing them and judging them instead. And Malachi gives several reasons for this. One has to do with their offerings that they were giving were unacceptable to God. Another is that they were actually going out and taking uh, foreign women, pagan women, to be their wives. And here we give a, uh, have another reason, the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today. This is one of the reasons was because of how they treated their wives, their Jewish wives. And so in Malachi chapter 2, verse 14, it's, it says this, and Yet you say, you say, for what reason? Why, are we, why is this happening to us? Why are we being judged? Why are not we being blessed of God? It is because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt Treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife and the wife of uh, by covenant. And your wife by covenant. Notice that. This is by covenant. You have made a commitment to her before God. It is a commitment between you and God and your spouse. He goes on to say, but did he not make them one? You see, in the very beginning, whenever God created mankind, he created Adam and Eve. He didn't create create Adam and Eve 1 and Eve 2 and said, hey, have a go with Eve 1, and if you don't like her, well, then you can cast her aside, and I've got Eve 2 for you. That's not what happened. He created one man and one woman, and he put those two together. It was that way from the very beginning. Having a remnant of the spirits. And why one? He seeks godly offspring. They were going after these foreign women. And whenever they go after these foreign women, they're going to be bringing pagans into their house. They're going to be bringing another religion, other gods into their house. And therefore, they're not going to be having godly offspring. And this was a concern. So he says, therefore, take heed to your spirit. Don't miss this. Notice the connection between the covenant that you have with your spouse and your spirit. Therefore, take heed to your spirit. There it is again. That you not deal treacherously. Now, uh, actually I skipped a bit. It says, "And let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Now, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hateth divorce, for it covers one garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. This is sort of the, have the idea that when you get married, your spouse, you cover her with your garments, in a sense. What you do is you offer her protection. You offer her whatever she needs. You provide for her. You take care of her. You love her. And we kind of get the idea of this actually in uh, the story of Ruth and Boaz. Whenever Ruth goes to the threshing floor and she wants to be covered by Boaz, in a sense, uh, some people think that she was propositioning him, and that wasn't the case. Basically, he was ask- she was asking him to be the, uh, the, the kinsman redeemer. And he says, well, there's another person that goes before me, uh, but we'll, we'll come back to you. And, of course, it's a great love story, so I encourage you to read it. But it has the idea of covering. Uh, and, and clothes has symbolic meaning throughout Scripture. Uh, whenever you go and, and, uh, and, and understand the, the Old Testament, oftentimes they had hymns in their garments. And if there was a clay tablet po- a clay tablet. That needed to be authorized. Sometimes they would take their hymn and they would actually press it into the clay um, uh, documents, and that would be sort of their way of signing it. And whenever a person was no longer in that position, whenever they got stripped from that position, they would actually strip the hymn from off that person. And this gives us a little more insight as to whenever Saul was was going after David and David was hiding in a cave, if you remember that. And, of course, Saul went in there to relieve himself he didn't know David was in there, and while he was in there, David actually took a knife, and he cut the hem of Saul's garment. Now, symbolically, what he was saying, he just cut the lineage of Saul. And, of course, whenever Saul left uh, uh, down the road for a little bit, then, then David stood up and said, hey, you were this close. I could have killed you, and I didn't. And later on, he felt bad about that because he was not supposed to touch God's anointing. But sort of the idea, whenever you have in the New Testament... This woman who has an issue of blood, and she goes and she follows Jesus Christ, and she reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment, has that, that power and that authority there. And so this clothes represents uh, uh, your, the person of who you are. And so when you are married and you have a wife, you are to take your clothes, in essence, and put over her, so you are, to, you are to protect her, you are to clothe her, you are to love her. And notice here what, what the Bible says. He says, you have a garment of violence. This is what was going on here. You're not treating your women as you should. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Now, if you back up a little bit, we don't have the verse on the screen, but back in verse 13, you can go back and look at it later on, there's a lot of tears that are taking place on the altar. And these tears that are being shed upon the altar are from these wives that have been abandoned. These men were getting tired of their um, uh, Jewish wives, and they were mar- marrying these pagan women. And, uh, and of course, if, you, if your wife was uh, getting old and no longer attractive, if she uh, burnt your breakfast and, and uh, didn't put enough salt in your, your dinner, then you can just do away with her for any reason. You can actually go and maybe get an upgrade. Okay? And essentially that's what they thought they were doing. They were, thought they were getting an upgrade. And, uh, and so they were, they were casting off these women. Now, look at it from the women's perspective here. These women gave themselves to their husband while they were in their blossoming young years. Now, if they got done away with then, well, then they, at least they still had their youth, they still had their energy, they probably could have been you know, attracted another guy and maybe lived another life. But now, they're old. And they're, they're beyond those, those years. They've, given, they, they've left their father and mother and they've committed themselves to one man because they made a covenant with that man. And they were uh, gone through all the life's ups and downs. They've raised their kids. They've done the hard yards. They've done what was necessary of them while they were still young. And now they've gotten old. Some of their beauty has probably faded away. Their parents have probably died. And they probably maybe moved away from the area which they used to live in. So they don't have access to their siblings probably either. And so here they've just been cast out. And so... They have really no other place to turn to except to God. And so they go to the temple, and they go before God, and they cry out upon the altar. These women, they all come together. They cry upon the altar, and here's the thing. God heard their crying. He heard their crying. He knew of their pain, and he intended to deal with it. And as a result of that, he stopped the spiritual blessings on Israel, and he began to judge them because of the way they were treating their wives. There is a spiritual connection between your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, notice that, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Notice this next bit, I've got it underlined for you, that your prayers may not be hindered that your prayers may not be hindered. You cannot be hateful to your spouse and think that you're okay in the eyes of God. God has withheld his blessing on Israel because of the mistreatment of their wives. You made a covenant with your wife before God. God intends for you to keep your oath. He intends for you to keep that covenant. And this is why God hates divorce. It takes three for two to become one. This is what we're talking about. This is what a covenant represents. You, uh, you, you not only um, break your oath with your spouse when you get a divorce, you also break your oath with God. So what does it mean to be in a covenant-keeping relationship? Well, there are different approaches to marriage. and We're going to look at three of them here today. Uh, there is a casual approach to marriage. Marriage is just a piece of paper. There is a contractual approach to marriage. Marriage is a contract. We sign on the dotted line. And then there is a covenantal approach to marriage. Marriage is a holy covenant established by God. So let's look at the first uh, casual approach to marriage first of all. Casual approach to marriage. Marriage is really not that big of a deal. Uh, I may get married. I may not get married. It's really not that big of a deal. And uh, it's just a piece of paper anyway. That's sort of the attitude behind a casual approach to marriage. When we have a casual approach to marriage, it generally leads to a casual approach to sex. Those who have a casual approach to sex may say something like this. As long as two consenting adults agree, it's not anybody's business anyway. Uh, So, you know, we're not hurting anyone. And, and hey, last time I checked, sex felt pretty good. So, hey, I might as well be able to have sex whenever I want with whoever I want and somebody else's business anyway. It's really no big deal. And then from there, we see their thinking evolved. Since marriage, follow with me, since marriage is no big deal, and since sex is no big deal, and if we love somebody, or at least if we like them a lot, it is relatively convenient. Um, We may as well move in together. After all, it doesn't matter. It's interesting. I've done some research, uh, and in 2014 was was the latest research I could come up with, uh, all the, um uh, the, the Australian marriages that registered in 2014, of those, 79.4% of couples lived together before they got married. 79.4%. Now, this was an increase of the previous year, which is 76.6%. So it's, this is on the rise. It's increasing, which makes sense in our culture today. So if you rent into somebody and you can be with them and it's convenient And we can save money. It just makes sense for us to move in together. It gives us an opportunity to sort of test things out. You heard that before? Now, let me just say this before we move on. If you're living together right now, my goal here this morning is not to embarrass you. It's not to bring shame upon you. I don't want you to feel like you have to go run out of the building here and never come back. That's not my point. That's not what I I want to happen here today. But we must call it what it is. Um, you have, at some level, made a commitment to someone enough to share an address with them. But let's just talk about what it could be, what it could end up meaning if we believe that marriage is no, is no big deal. Let's just say that we're going to live together and uh, we're going to move in together and we're going to do things that are typically reserved for married couples. You uh, move in with somebody, you put your toothbrush in the same cup holder as they do, you take your clothes and you put them in the same drawer as they do, uh, you go and you share bills, you share address, you may even share a sandwich, uh, you share your bed. Essentially, you do married things even though you're not married. Then things don't work out. And uh, what do you do? Well, you take your toothbrush out of the toothbrush holder, you go and take your clothes out of the drawer, you go and you take your half of the sandwich, and then you leave and you find somebody else, and then you go and move in with them. And you put your toothbrush in their toothbrush holder, you put their clothes in their drawer, you go and have a sandwich with them, and then what happens? Things get complicated, uh, things didn't work out, and then you go and it's a com- circle that happens over and over and over again. Then... Weeks, months, years later, you meet that perfect someone. Oh, man, this, this, this is the one. This is the one you dreamed of. This is the one you want to spend your life with. This is the one that you want to settle down with. And you do. You get married. Opposites attract. When you get married, you're at each other's throats. And then things don't work out well and things get complicated. She squeezes the toothpaste in the middle. He leaves the toilet lid up. She doesn't put the ketchup back where it's supposed to go. He doesn't breathe right. Things get difficult. And so many people say today, it's just too hard. Let's just break it off. Let's get a divorce. Why is divorce so common? Follow along with. It. I want you to get this. If you get nothing else, get this. Get a hold of this. This is important. Why is divorce so common? Because a lot of people play house. They pretend to be married. And then they practice divorce on person after person after person. And so, if marriage is only a piece of paper and sex really isn't that big of a deal and we can go through life with multiple people, why wouldn't we end up with a divorce? That is the very thing that we have been practicing in our relationships. This could be a consequence of a casual approach to marriage. We've looked at a casual approach to marriage, look at a contractual approach now. The contractual approach to marriage. When you get married, I'm assuming this is the case in most places where you've lived, uh, regardless of where you've lived in this world. Chances are you've probably had to go and sign a document saying that you are now married. Okay? So in a sense, you've sort of signed a contract, if you will. And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, is that if that's what you think only marriage is, is a contract. Because you have to ask yourself a question. What is a contract based on? A contract is based on mutual distrust. Think about it. If I want to make a deal with you, and uh, we, we bargain, and we, we talk about all the details, and we come to an agreement, and I trust you, then chances are I'm probably going to shake your hand, maybe give you a fist bump, or just say, hey, say, you know, we agree on these terms, you got my word. And that's the end of it. However, if I don't trust you, I'm not shaking your hand, and you're going to be signing that bad boy in a dotted line because there is no trust there there's going to be a contract. So what do we know about a contract? Well, a contract is generally temporary, um, usually until you pay up or the contract expires. Uh, a contract is most always to protect the person signing it and to sort of limit their responsibilities. Think, for, if you will, like a, um, a rental contract. You have both parties sign it. It uh, tells them what their responsibilities are and also defines those responsibilities and limits their responsibilities. So when we enter into a marriage, it's a contract, um, and it's uh, as, as long as you live up to your agreed upon terms, great, we have a deal. But if you don't live up to the agreed upon terms, meaning if you call me a name, if you betray me in some way, or if I'm just not happy with you anymore, you no longer make me happy. Since I feel like you have broken the contract, then I'm no longer bound to the contract, and we go our separate ways. That is a contractual approach to marriage. And so we have a casual approach. We have a contractual approach to marriage. Now, let's look at the last one, a covenantal approach to marriage. A covenantal approach to marriage. This is not based on mutual distrust. A covenant approach is based on mutual commitment. It's based on mutual commitment. It's not temporary. It's not motivated by self-preservation. Notice this. It is an unconditional commitment motivated by a sacrificial love for the other. It is an unconditional commitment motivated by the sacrificial love for the other. So what is a covenant? Let's get into it. Uh, most of us don't go around saying, Oh, well, sir, I've, uh, I've entered into a covenant today. Right? Right? Uh, We don't talk like that, and uh, we don't use that word oftentimes. Uh, But it is a very, very important word. It's a biblical word, and also it's an important word for us to understand in regards to relationship. The word covenant comes from the Old Testament Hebrew word berith. Berith. And um, it means a cutting. In the Old Testament, when a covenant was established, there would be a shedding of blood and they make the covenant, uh, whenever they make a covenant, they would uh, offer up uh, a cutting of a bull or maybe seven lambs, and essentially whenever two people were entering into a covenant, let's say they were making a covenant uh, through a bull, they would cut the bull in half, they would put, place the bull on one side and place the bull on the other side, and oftentimes what they would do is they would walk around the, 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 the bull, the covenant, seven times, okay? Now, I'm not going to walk around seven times because I'm going to get dizzy and fall over and it's going to be embarrassing. But what they also may do is sometimes they actually may do a figure eight and walk through the cuttings. And so you said that sounds crazy, that sounds stupid. Why would they do such a silly thing? What they were essentially saying is, what happened to this bull would happen to me if I don't keep up my side of the oath? If I don't keep my covenant, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm as good as dead. Let what happened to these animals happen to me if I don't keep up my side of the bargain. So this was a serious decision to make, whether or not you wanted to enter it into a covenant or not. This is not something that you flippantly do. You don't sit there and say, oh, well, I'll give it a whirl and see if I can hack it, and if not, hey, no big deal. No, no, no. There was a shedding of blood because of this deal. There was a shedding of blood. There was a covenant that was made. I am giving my word. This is my commitment to you that I will stick by this. Now, if you go to an Old Testament Hebrew wedding, one of the things, uh, is a very powerful covenantal testimony that, you, that you'll see there. Uh, visually, the priest, what he would do is he would take the hand of the groom and take the hand of the bride and he would take a little knife sometimes and uh, he, would, he would prick both hands and then there would be a shedding of the blood. And what he would do, he would take those hands and he would put them together and mingle that blood together. Now, This would signify in Leviticus that life was in the blood. And so essentially what they were doing is they were exchanging a life in a sense. And then what he would do is he would bound up their their hands together and then they would stand before their people and for their family and friends and before God and they they would say their vows, they would make a commitment to one another. And then what the couple would do is they would depart for a time and they would go to a place called the Hapa. The Huppa. It's a fun word. Say it with me. It's kind of like uh, getting a loogie out of the back of your throat. Huppa. Say it with me. Huppa. Very good. All right. They would go to the Huppa. And this is where we get our English word, Huppa, Huppa. No, I'm just kidding. But we could. Because the Huppa was like the bridal suite, that's like the honeymoon suite. And, um, and and what they would do is the couples would be dismissed while everyone else was waiting outside the Huppah. And in the Huppah, they would Huppah. Now, in theory, the virgin groom would enter into the virgin bride and there would be a shedding of blood. And physically, they would become one flesh, representing what was happening in the spirit. Then once they had sealed the Holy Covenant, they would come back out to the party who has been waiting for them. Imagine how awkward that must be. And yet, this is what they did. And what I want you to understand here this morning, and the truth that I want you to take to heart here, is that marriage matters. Marriage matters to God, and marriage should also matter to us. It's a covenant. And so uh, the, the gift of lovemaking also matters to God. It comes from God. However, he has reserved sex for a covenantal relationship in marriage. Go back to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. It says, marriage is honorable among, say it with me, all. Let's try that again. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed say it undefiled okay now what does all mean well in the greek all means all not that difficult not hard all means all if you're a kid it means you if you're a teenager with all your raging hormones it means you if you're a 22 year old and you're single and you still have your needs you still honor the covenant of marriage If you're a 31-year-old and you're waiting, dating, and have a deep desire for mating, well, then you need to honor the the marriage bed as well. If you're 47 years old and you're divorced, the marriage bed should be kept pure because marriage matters to God. The gift of lovemaking matters to God. And this is why I believe the way we talk about sex in church needs to change. Throughout our kids' lives, We've been telling our kids, no sex, no sex, no sex, no sex. You can't have sex. No sex, no sex, no sex. And then they go and get married, and we're like, yes, 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 yes. I want grandkids by next week. And they have said, hey, what's going on here? It's it's driving them crazy. You know, I've been told no all my life, and now yes, 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 yes. Look, we need to change that. Instead of telling our kids no, 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 what we need to do is tell our kids we need to wait, 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 wait. Because something holy is coming. Something God honoring is coming. Something special is coming. Now for those who may have already said yes, 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 yes. And maybe you may be feeling a little bit of conviction right here this morning. Um, What do you do if you aren't married? Or what do you do if you're married and you've been living a lust-filled life that's displeasing to God? Well, the good news is that Christ makes us new. Christ makes us new. When one is born again spiritually, I would argue that they were born again sexually as well. When I got saved, my past was forgiven, I was transformed. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what you did last night. By the grace of God, you can be forgiven and you can, uh, from this point on, live a life that's honoring to God. From this moment forward, I can honor my covenant of marriage. The marriage bed should be kept pure. And if you're dating right now and uh, maybe one day you hope to be married, well then you can decide right now that you are going to wait. You are going to wait. And then one day when you stand before God and you stand before your closest friends and families and the two shall become one flesh both spiritually and physically, you will honor God. This is your story that nobody can take from you. We waited And we honored God in our relationship. You sealed that covenant, and it is holy, and it is right. Or, let's just call it what it is. You can go and do your thing. You can get married. It's just a piece of paper. You can go on your honeymoon, and it's just another day at the office, business as usual, just another round in the sack. Hey, listen, the choice is yours. The choice is what you want it to be. I choose to be Christ centered. There is a big difference between calling yourself a Christian and being centered upon Christ. I want our relationship to be mission driven. We are united by a higher calling. And I I, I want to kick out all the forces of darkness. We are devil kicking. Why? Because we are covenant keeping. It is not. A contract, it is not a casual approach. It is not a contractual approach. It is much, much more than that. It is a covenantal approach. And some may say, well, that's easy for you, Pastor Dwayne. You're married to this beautiful, young, perfect lady, Valerie, down here on the front. And you, know, you don't know how bad my marriage is. I want to acknowledge that for some, it is incredibly complicated. I know that some of you are dealing with massive betrayals. Hurts beyond measure, dysfunction, pain, perhaps even on some levels of abuse. And I want to acknowledge that and acknowledge that, yeah, it's complicated. But I will tell you right now that it's complicated in our world as well. Our schedules are difficult as anybody's. Uh, I can guarantee you that there is just as many spiritual attacks on my family as anyone. And it's not easy for anybody in this fallen world. But Valerie and I have made a decision a long time ago that divorce is not an option. Our marriage is as good as we want it to be. Not her, not me, but it, it, our marriage is as good as we want it to be. There are some times when I don't feel like being loving. There are some times where I don't feel like being forgiving. There are times when I don't feel like working on it, when I don't feel like expressing love, when I don't feel like being Christ-centered. But let me ask you this. How many other important areas of life do we not do simply because we don't feel like it? Well, I'm not going to feed my baby today. I just don't feel like it. I'm not going to go to work for the next three weeks because I'm just not in the mood. I'm not going to pay my taxes because I just don't feel like it. No, no, no. We do it because it's the right thing to do. We choose to be Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, and covenant-keeping. But the big problem that many have is this, that we have a misunderstanding of the character of God. Many of us think that we go to God and it's a casual thing with God. I mean, I can do whatever I want and He's going to forgive me anyway. It's no big deal. They just take a casual approach to God. Others, some, they have a contractual approach to God. If I live up to my part, he will live up to his part. But the problem is, is that we can never live up to our part, and then we're afraid to go to him for his part. We are not worthy of it because we contractually did not do what we were supposed to do. But the truth of God, truth about God is this. It is not a casual approach. It is not a contractual approach. It is a covenantal approach. It is a covenantal relationship with God. In the Old Covenant, they would once a year take a lamb and they would sacrifice it. And uh, they would allow the, lo- the blood to flow out of the lamb into a bucket. And this was representative of the Passover, what they did in the Passover. They actually went and took the blood and they put it on the doorpost on the sides, and on the top. And as the death angel would come and he would see the blood that was on the doorpost, he would pass over that house and nobody would die in it because they were protected by the blood, by the blood of the lamb. And if you think about it, when they go and put the door across the top and, and the door on the sides, it sort of gives you a picture of the New Testament cross that was going to take place in the future. The old covenant was temporary. But we live under a new covenant today. Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the Lamb of God that was slain. He was shed his blood for us for the forgiveness of sin, the barith, the cutting took place when Jesus on the cross. And because of that, because of his death and resurrection, whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We will be made new. This is a new covenant. It's not casual. It's not contractual. It's covenantal. Our relationships will be as good as we choose for them to be. So we here at Southwest Baptist Church, we choose for our relationships to be, say it with me, Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, and covenant-keeping. We talk about covenant-keeping. This is not just a relationship with your spouse. It's a relationship between your spouse and God as well. It takes three or two to become one. Let's go Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together. And Lord, as we think about the covenant that you have made for us, and Lord, the commitment that we need to have with our spouse, Lord, regarding the covenants, I pray, God, that you would help us to see that our marriage, Lord, is not a casual marriage, that our our marriage is not a, a contractual marriage, Lord, but our marriage is a covenant. And it's important for us to work things out. It's important for us to stay together because, Lord, we've made that covenant with you as well. And so, Lord, as we go out through uh, this week, Lord, and as we think about the series as a whole, uh, God, I, I pray that there were some things here that we could apply to our hearts, we can apply to our lives, and also we can apply to our relationships so that we can honor you in all of our relationships that we have with each other. And we thank you for this time together in Jesus' name.